Amen. Um, uh, I'm in a time of need. I'm sure you are, because you're going to have to listen to me. So isn't it comforting to know that God is the one who's going to provide for all our needs? Uh, my apologies to you uh, in that I'm preaching today. It should have been our senior pastor, Paul Rees. So if you come expecting him, I do apologize for that. Um, I had a similar experience yesterday. It was my final uh, official responsibility as the Scottish President for Christian Endeavour. I've done that for two years, uh, attended various exec meetings and gone to various uh, functions and um, uh, conventions. And yesterday, uh, a new president was inducted, which I had to do. So I'm there with all the regalia of the chain of office around my neck and all that sort of nonsense. And um, at lunchtime, this little boy came up to me. He's about eight or nine years old, a little boy called Jack. And he stood beside me, quite wide-eyed, and he said, Mr. President? And, and I said, yes. And he said, oh, I was expecting Barack Obama. And I could just, I, I seriously, I could see just how disappointing I was in this little boy's uh, eyes. Well, I, just to kind of recover from that and for my own ego, I guess, he had a little spinning top with a, um, a little plate with a stick on it. And so I said, do you mind if I have a... He says, could you do that? And I said, just give me a shot. You know? So I, I, spun the, I spun the plate, and once I got it going, I actually balanced it on my chin and walked around the room with it. And, and so I gained a little bit of kudos with this kid again, <laughs> just to prove that um, I wasn't such a stuffed shirt as I looked at the time. Uh, let's, we're thinking tonight about fellowship in our series of the church, what should it do? And so let's just read again from God's words. Can I ask you to turn to... 1 Corinthians and chapter 14. I'm not going to read all of it, just some selected verses from there if we can. You can read the whole thing to see in context what the Apostle Paul is trying to address uh, in the heart of a fellowship for whom he's got great concerns about many things that they practice, some good, some bad. In fact, on one occasion he says that your meetings do more harm than good. That can't be terribly encouraging for a church to hear things like that. But he has things to say to us in the context of fellowship. So let's read, first of all, from verse 1. Uh, it's on page 1154 in the Church Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. For everyone who, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would, like every one of you, to speak in tongues. But I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the ear. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Then please move down to verse 26. What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and others could, should weigh up carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. And if you can all prophesy in turn, so that for you can all prophesy in turn, so that that everyone will be encouraged and instructed. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, but God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Amen. Let's just leave it there um, and come to our subject. Uh, we've been looking at the subject for quite a while, and as I say, Paul was supposed to be preaching on it, and uh, I actually asked for his notes to be sent me during the week when it became very clear on Wednesday that I would be doing this. I thought, I'll have a look to see what our senior pastor has preached on in the past. Uh, and so if I slip into an illustration of when I was a dentist or when I was snowboarding in the Rocky Mountains or surfing on Bondi Beach, then you'll know that that's not... I, I don't know if Paul's ever snowboarded in the Rockies or, or surfed on Bondi Beach. I'm just... Okay. Um, but what should a church do? That's the, the topic that we're addressing, been addressing for a few weeks. And, and so far we've, we've outlined broadly what the church is, but we've also studied in detail what we should do in regard to worship, communion, and baptism. So if, if you're new to the church, if you've not heard the other uh, sermons, teachings in the series, then they're available online or from our media library downstairs. Um, so you can have these either in DVD format or in MP3 or something um, to your, your iPod. So what is church? Well, here's a definition uh, as given by our senior pastor uh, some weeks ago. Uh, God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what church is. It's God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this evening we're going to consider one of the purposes of why God's people gather together um, as church, as we find it in the Bible. So I want you to turn uh, again in your Bibles to Acts 2. It's on page 1094 in the Pew Bible. Very familiar passage of Scripture, I imagine, to most of us. Certainly those who have been Christians for quite a, a long time. Uh, it's part of the record of the sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost when Peter the Apostle stands up and under the inspiration of the Spirit um, preaches and, and sees a good number of people respond in repentance and faith as that message is preached. And of those that became uh, Christians that day, about 3,000 in number were added to the church. They were baptized and were told in verse 42, these new converts devoted themselves to the Apostle teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, 
and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we read in this passage in Acts that the early church, the, the, the individual members that made up the numbers of the early church, as they gathered, they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. So what is fellowship? Uh, if I ask that word, what does that mean to you? What does the word fellowship mean to you? Uh, as a young Christian, or as someone who come back to faith, uh, having rebelled for a while in my teenage years, I came back to the Lord when I was 18, uh, having been out in the wilderness for a while, and, and the church that I went to uh, was fairly typical, conservative, evangelical Baptist church, uh, and there I, I, I got a grounding in the faith. But one of the things that unsettled me about that fellowship was that as I read the scriptures, particularly in Acts and, and, and elsewhere in the New Testament, it didn't appear to me that we were anything like the kind of church community that existed in the first century. And uh, I hadn't got around to the place where people could tell me that the church is different now. We're not supposed to be like the church in the first century. I don't believe that, but I think that many people want to teach that. And I remember one Sunday evening uh, being particularly challenged and convicted I think by the Holy Spirit that, that as we gathered for our church community that we seemed simply to be following traditions or we seemed to be going through the motions, uh, maintaining a mostly outward expression of religious observance. And I was so troubled by that as a young Christian that I felt I had to interrupt, a, I'm not sure what the collective noun is, but I'm going to call them a huddle of our deacons who were kind of chatting away in one corner of the hall when, once the service was over. And, and I went up to them and I said, Guys, is it only me or do others feel that there isn't much evidence of spiritual life in our meetings? And um, the reply that I got from one of our most senior leaders, um, and who was also a founding member of our church fellowship, he turned around to me and he says, It must just be you. Because I think that we've just had a great time of fellowship. And of course, by fellowship, he meant that we'd come in. Um, if we spoke to our neighbor at all, it was about the mundane and the routine things of life. We sang some songs or some hymns. We said some prayers. We uplifted an offering. And we listened to God's word being taught or preached. Or, and we sang a song and we pronounced the benediction and we finished. And he said, we'd had a great time of fellowship. And maybe some of you think that's what Christian fellowship is about, because that's what we've been told and, uh, that we should understand. But what is the, 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 the biblical definition of fellowship? Well, the basic idea of fellowship is that of sharing. Um, the most common word used in Greek is koinonia. It's translated uh, into different English words depending on the context of where it comes uh, in the Bible. But it's, it's used in a number of ways classically. First of all, it's used of those who are in partnership together in business. Uh, you can have fellowship 
uh, in terms of the business sense. Uh, there's more to, I think, being told in Scripture that we shouldn't be yoked together with unbelievers in the context of marriage. Uh, because a business partnership with unbelievers has a sense of fellowship with it. And, and we may have conflicting convictions about how our businesses ought to be run. That's one use of the word. Another classical use of the word is expressing the marriage relationship where a man and a woman share a unique and intimate relationship with each other. That's koinonia, uh, fellowship. And it's also used in the kind of common sense of that you share with other people. So fellowship is just sharing. It's a relationship of give and take. So how does that fit into the context of, of this deacon saying to me, whatever it was, 30-something years ago, we've had a great time of fellowship tonight. So what is shared among Christians, and particularly what is different to Christian fellowship compared with fellowship sharing elsewhere? And how important is fellowship when Christians gather? Now, right from the earliest days of the Christian church, they devoted themselves to certain things. And we see that here in, in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the earliest description that we have of the gathered Christian church, of which we see fellowship being a key activity. But before the writer, uh, which we know to be Luke, tells us that they're devoted to fellowship, he says they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. And, and the fact that he puts it there seems to have some order to it. That the very reason that, first of all, that you and I gather together for fellowship is that we, first of all, have got to have a devotion for the Word of God. See, what makes us different as a gathering tonight here than any other group similarly gathered at any other time and place? Some years ago, I was on... Um, well, I kidded the church on that I was with at the time. I was doing some sabbatical studies in Australia. Well, no, I actually was. Um, but while I was there, I went to a wood-turning fraternal. Uh, they had this beautiful purpose-built building that had been there for about 10 years. Uh, they had a couple of lathes down the front of it. We all sat in rows, kind of similar to what you are tonight. They had a center aisle to it. And we watched master wood-turners demonstrate their skills. Um, somebody came around with a plate and we put money in it for some charity that they were supporting. And at the end of it, we were told about a trip to another wood-turning fraternal that was going to happen later on that month and we could all sign up and go to that if we wanted. And you know, I'm, 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 in, I'm, I'm totally fat. I'm a bit geekish when it comes to wood-turning. But I'm totally fat. But then all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute. This is terribly like church. Except the Word of God's missing. But it was very like the sort of thing that we would do pretty much any Sunday anywhere in the world. A group of people have come together for a common purpose. And the only difference that I could see it was that the, the word of God wasn't in that meeting. All the rest of the stuff that we would call fellowship was there. We had common interests. We were sharing together. We were talking together. Um, we were financially helping to support those that couldn't support themselves. All sorts of good stuff was going on but the Word of God was missing from it. And, and the Word of God is the thing that draws us, first of all, to the place of fellowship. We see it there uh, in the true dynamics of Christian fellowship in Acts, and as a church today, we need to think about how that applies to us. So what is the basis of Christian fellowship? 
Well, we've seen that the word of God is important as the precursor to that. But Christian fellowship is a relationship with God. And that's the starting point of our relationships with one another. Because we see here in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the disciples who had spent three years with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his whole ministry on earth. Uh, and they saw the miracles, they'd heard his teaching, they'd observed his conduct and his life. And they took all that he had told them to obey. And we see that in also at the end of Matthew's Gospel, where part of the Great Commission is the apostles had to go out and teach people to observe all that Jesus had taught them. And so they're doing this, uh, and, and so these new Christian converts who had come to put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they saw him as the only one who could bring them into a right relationship with God the Father through the forgiveness of their sins and the desire to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and his Father. So Christian fellowship is first and foremostly about the relationship that we have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if you like, it's a vertical relationship that, that we respond to God the Father through the love of Jesus Christ, as he sacrifices himself on the cross for our sins. And that's the beginning of something that is purely Christian fellowship as opposed to any other fellowship. There are fellowships of woodturners, believe it or not. Uh, in fact, recently I saw a cruise to Norway for 10 days for woodturners. My wife doesn't want to come on it with me. <laughs> But notice here that the true fellowship with God, that vertical relationship, will always be outworked and, and, and outwardly expressed in fellowship with other Christian believers. And, you know, I was thinking about this during the week because I've, I've heard people say, do you know, we can't come out to church anymore, so we get the DVD, or we sit and watch songs of praise at home, or, you know, we've got Sky, so we get the God channel. And that helps us relate in a sense of fellowship to other people. Now, I, I think that all of these things can be a means whereby we can be instructed in the Word, we can be edified, but I don't think it's fellowship. You can't have fellowship on your own. You can have fellowship with God on your own, but that needs to be expressed in an outward way on a, on a horizontal plane, if you like, towards other people. In fact, recently... Um, there was a preacher on the God Channel. I, I didn't see this, but I've, I've heard this from someone else. And he suggested to his viewers that if they had received a blessing from his ministry, they could, one, make a financial donation to his ministry and organization, and that, secondly, they should get up out of their seats and give the TV a hug. <laughs> because if they were in, you know, have fellowship with your television set, is basically what he's saying. And how terribly inadequate that is. And, and quite gross, actually. Fellowship is not an individualistic thing. And, and maybe, you know, there's somebody listening to this, um, either on a download or, or, or via our DVD ministry. And, and it's great that you get the service. But you're not experiencing the fellowship of God's people. And if you're unable to get out, then someone needs to come to you from the fellowship and interact with you through their relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and relate to you in a way that you can really enjoy Christian fellowship. 
And this fellowship, we see, uh, I've actually heard people say things like, I don't mind going to the fellowship group, so long as I don't have to take part. Well, that's because you don't want to have fellowship. Now, I know that there are some cultural things to overcome, uh, and there are some things that are, are pertinent to our own natures. And, and do you know, I, I think I suffer probably um, as bad from that as anybody could. I'm, I've got several things that mitigate against me having good fellowship. First of all, I'm a bloke, and blokes don't open up terribly well to anyone I'm a Scottish bloke, and worse than that, I'm an Arcadian bloke, where you just would never, ever talk about anything that's personal to you to anyone else. It's just not the done thing. So it's very difficult to have fellowship with somebody that is just a completely closed book. And that's the whole point of what, what, what's happening here in Acts, that we need to see that fellowship that brings us into a relationship with a living God will want to outwork itself through us to other people. We're good at doing this with other things. Um, I, he will remain nameless, but one of our friends here in Charlotte Chapel, who's a friend of mine on Facebook, just put a thing on Facebook yesterday saying, guess what? It's a V6, I think 2.5, answers on a postcard type thing. He's got himself a new motor! And he's bragging about it. He's in relationship with his car. Somebody gets themselves a girlfriend. They want to talk about that. Somebody's had a new baby. They want to talk about that. Somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Their sins have been eradicated and washed away. And they get to know God the Father. Well, it's a private thing, isn't it? No, it's not. It's a very public thing that we ought to be able to declare. Because we're in fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. We want to be in fellowship with other people and find some way of expressing that. And that certainly happened in Acts when the Holy Spirit came and touched the life of the community. Day by day they met in each other's homes and shared together, breaking bread together, sharing everything, chatting together, sharing their common lives together. Again, in his notes, Paul says, everyday lives shared together were saturated with joy and gladness and punctuated with prayer and praise to God. Isn't that a wonderful picture of fellowship? Is that the picture that you have of the fellowship you have with Christians here in the 21st century? Everyday lives shared together, saturated with joy and gladness and punctuated with prayer and praise to God. Well, do you know, believe it or not, there are some churches that are actually like this. And some of them not so far away from us. At times, maybe we can connect like this in Charlotte Chapel. That we actually do have that level of experience one with another. The early church was marked both by their central gathering as well as by in smaller groups within their homes by this deep, practical, joyful, worshipful fellowship. Think of what sometimes we describe as fellowship. That, that deacon that I referred to earlier who actually is now in glory and enjoying fellowship like he couldn't believe possible. But sometimes, um, you know, what we describe is, as fellowship is, is fairly brief. It's a bit superficial. Maybe a conversation that is completely inadequate to what we see here in Acts. But, you know, where that sort of fellowship is experienced, 
see what happens, because that in itself is evangelistic. We're told that when the church behaves like this under the power of the Holy Spirit and shares that that intimacy of devotion to the Word of God and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, see what happens. The Lord adds to the number daily those who are being saved. And, and not terribly far from here, my, ch- my son belongs to a church where uh, fellowship is really key to a lot of the stuff they do. So is the Word of God, but fellowship is absolutely vital. And so they're organized into what they call cell groups, uh, growth groups where they minister to each other, they open up each other's lives to one another. And the Lord is adding to that church. Fifteen people committed themselves to following Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday when the Word was preached. Isn't that exciting? But of course, it's not just good and joyous stuff, because within his cell group, he's dealing with marriages that are breaking up, he's dealing with abuse, Uh, people are sharing the intimacy of their lives at a deep level of fellowship. But the Lord is adding to the number of that church that is growing, the fastest numerical growth church in Edinburgh, if not in Scotland today, because people are connecting with some of this stuff. So how important is Christian fellowship? Well, let's um, look at that passage that Norman read to us in one John 1, because that, um, the first seven verses really define the nature of fellowship and model it for us. So let me read it again to you. And as I do that, I want you to notice the relationship that they have with God. And I also want you to notice the relationship that they then have with each other. So um, back to page 1225. 1 John 1, 1 to 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, reference to Jesus on earth, and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. First of all, let's look at the vertical aspect of fellowship there in verse 3. It's expressed simply as our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That, that's the fundamental relationship that you have to have in order to be a Christian. If you don't have that, then you're not a Christian. If Jesus isn't in you and you're not in him, then you're not a saved person. And you need to repent of your sin. You need to come and confess that. You need to invite Jesus to take control of your life. You need to be born again from above. And that's a divine prerogative that God, by his Spirit, does for those that he calls to follow him. So if you're not in fellowship with the Father and the Son, no matter how religious you may appear to be, If you're not a Christian, it's very difficult to try to outwork that Christian experience on a horizontal plane with other people. 
And we see that aspect in verses 6 through 7. It's the ongoing way that we as Christians share together our fellowship with God. Because it's not individualistic, it's not personal. It's about how I express that to other people in the world around me. And you see the Apostle John modeling that deep level of fellowship in these verses. He's sharing with his readers the relationship that he has with God. And notice that John's claim here is quite an astonishing one. He has said that he and the other apostles have come to know the God who created the universe. Remember last Sunday morning, we were looking at the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the Lord of creation. He's the creator of all things. He's the eternal, pre-existent, always has been, always will be, son of God. And he's also head over everything to the church. And John is saying, I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. I shared intimately his life with him as he shared mine with me. And he says, I've seen him. And so he's sharing that relationship with his readers. They've come to know God as Father through meeting his Son, Jesus Christ. The very one who was God from the beginning, before all things, that's the one that's there. We don't have to guess what God is like. He's appeared to us in the person of Jesus, uh, again, as we saw last Sunday morning. And John is writing this because he has experienced God, and he wants other people to experience God. Now think again about how excited we can become about telling somebody about our new car, our new home, our new career, our new wife, our new husband, our baby, etc., 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 we get excited about that. I remember when my son was born some nearly 30 years ago. My face was sore. Apparently my wife was complaining other parts, but I, my face was sore. Aching, just with a big, broad grimace that said, i got a kid. It's amazing. It's, i got a son. And I, just, I, I stopped strangers on the street and told them. I, no, I did, actually. <laughs> now, that's just... That's not typical of an Arcadian bloke, believe me. I was just so pleased that God had blessed me with a son. I was also pleased three years later when he blessed me with a daughter. But you know what I'm saying? We get excited about these temporal things. And yet you and I, if we're Christians, we're in relationship with the Lord of the universe. And it's a private thing. We don't want to share it. What's that about So we see something of a deeper level of fellowship. Why is he proclaiming this news about Jesus? Well, look back at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I don't know how broadly you've traveled, but you know, you can go anywhere in the world and meet with other Christians, and it's like you've known them all your life. Once you get through the language barriers, your brothers and sisters in Jesus. You just love to share Jesus. And that's just the reality of how it is for us, uh, for all of us who really are born-again Christians. And that very act of fellowship with his readers, John is sharing with them uh, and with us his fellowship with God. And so that's at least partly what is meant, first of all, by biblical fellowship. We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with others, brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's move on to another reflection um, of biblical fellowship. Uh, The blessing and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. At the close of our services, quite often, 
uh, we say the words of the grace to one another. You'll find them in 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, whereby we uh, are encouraged by the person out the front here to say, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So what do we mean by that? In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul addresses several issues that he feels require attention in the life of this young and still somewhat carnal church community. As he opens it up, he says, Look, I would like to address you on deep spiritual things, but you're really just babies in Jesus. You're very carnal in the way you do things. And I want to address some of that with you as I write to you. Uh, but one of the things that he spends time teaching them about is how they should behave in regard to both the gift and the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, that is evidently manifest during the times that they're gathered by the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26, uh, we read, What shall we say then, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn and a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Now this chapter, as elsewhere, addresses several abuses and matters that are out of order for any community of God's assembled people. And as you read the letter, um, you get something of a picture that the meetings are filled of excessive tongue speaking, uh, of uh, the role of women being uh, abused in that church. They're shouting in over the top of all the things. There's just absolute chaos. But we can be excited about this because there's something else going on in the meeting. Here's a local church in which the Holy Spirit is working in power. These Corinthian Christians, uh, they're meeting with eagerness, they're meeting with excitement and expectation, and they're anxious to share with their fellow believers the manifestation of the Spirit that is theirs. If you flip back to chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And you know, I think back into my youth, that's probably what was missing. It's not that what we were doing in coming in and sitting in nice orderly rows and singing songs and praying and listening to the Word, that's in and of itself not a bad thing. But there was something missing of the dynamic, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings. Let me say a little bit more about that. I want to say three things in relation to the active manifestation of the Holy Spirit working in our gathered communities. Let me say this first of all. Do you know that we can ignore the Holy Spirit and simply rely on our own sinful nature as we come together? We can sing hymns. We can read God's Word. We can pray, but not in the Spirit. We can do that simply out of our own human experience. Can you turn to Galatians 5? I'm sorry, I don't have the, the, the page number there. Turn to Galatians 5, just for a little bit of comparison on this to see what I'm trying to say to you here. First, Second Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians 5. Let me just read this to you and then we'll compare it together, shall we? Starting at verse 16. So I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
And, and just we've compared these lists in other contexts, but I'm doing it in the context of fellowship here. Think of the gathered church, the church gathered by the gospel, where we're willing to pronounce, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And think about the context of our church meetings. Think about the reality of your own heart here tonight as we come under the authority of the Word of God. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual, immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It's not an exhaustive list. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at the contrasting list there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, it's the vertical relationship have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. That's the horizontal outworking of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit present in the gathered community. That we don't reflect the nature of the things that pertain to the sinful nature, but instead we reflect the reality of the fruit of the Spirit who is resident within us. But you know, we can ignore Him and we can rely on our own sinful nature. We can also grieve Him and we have to then rely on our own sinful nature. Because if the Holy Spirit's present with us to help us behave like that, and yet we can grieve Him, then we can drive Him away from our meetings. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. God's word speaking to my heart, speaking to your heart, checking us. Is that, have we been like that? Are we like that? You see, again, part of the issue, I'm, I've been around evangelical churches for over 30 years now, and, and in every church I've ever belonged to, there are certain people uh, for whom the excuse is made but that's just what they're like. And they can have a rough tongue. They can speak ill of others. They can be terribly critical of the pastor and the leadership. And nobody can ever challenge them because they're just like that. And we knew their father or their mother before them, and they were like that. And that's not good enough. Because that's a reflection of someone who has a family trait that lives according to the sinful nature. And how can we have fellowship with one another if we live according to the sinful nature? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit should be present with us. So do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And here's why. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We can grieve the Holy Spirit and rely on our own strength to try to get us to muddle through. It's not... When did we last meet together? It's not six hours. Well, it's not seven hours. Since somebody said something to me in this building that was of a grievous nature to come out of the mouth of a Christian. That shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. We have to ask for forgiveness for it. And actually part of the fellowship of belonging to believers is that we actually have the courage to say compassionately, gently, lovingly, but firmly to one another, you shouldn't speak like that. In a former church, we had someone who used to write into the leadership, used to be controversial at all the church meetings, and I asked somebody, how long has this been happening for? It's been happening as long as we've known him. This is a guy who had spent 30 years in the mission field before coming back to church. And if somebody from that former church is listening to this, it won't take huge amount of expertise to figure out who I'm talking about. But you know, I, I took a deacon with me one day and I went and I confronted this guy in love. And I said, why are you like the way you are? And he said, how dare you? How dare you speak to me like that? How dare you challenge the fact that there may be something wrong? How dare you? So I'm, I, I don't have an issue with you, sir, personally. But I'm so disappointed in the way that I hear you conduct yourself publicly. And the tone and the, the nature of your letters are just, they're just so unlike Jesus. Pleading with you. He's very, very annoyed with me. But, um, do you know, he's mellowed over the years and he's becoming a really nice Christian. But sometimes we need to be challenged. The third thing in relation to this aspect of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was that we can actually acknowledge him and we can rely on his power to guide us and strengthen us in every aspect of our fellowship together. And that's what we have there in Galatians 6. It's a picture of spirit-led, spirit-filled fellowship. And to have that fellowship means that we can share together and hold these things in common, that our relationship with God the Father through his Son by God the Holy Spirit, not by our own strength. And that relationship has come about through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read a statement to you, and I want you to gauge in your own heart uh, whether or not you can agree with it. The depth of our personal relationship with God determines the degree of fellowship possible with each other. The depth of our fellowship with each other is an indicator of our personal relationship with God. The gentleman I referred to that I challenged some years ago read his Bible, prayed every day, had served in the mission field for 30 years. And yet he was crabbit. He was hostile. Very difficult to get alongside and get a meaning relationship with. Let me read to you what um, one pastor says. C.J. Mahaney puts it like this. Nothing compares 
to the fellowship that we enjoy when we worship together, study and apply the scripture together, encourage and correct each other, and communicate to one another our current experience of God. Nothing. Mahaney also asks this question and responds regarding and gives a response regarding fellowship. And I find this very challenging. If someone spent an afternoon with you, would he or she leave with a fresh understanding of and passion for God? If not, you need to change. And that is a real challenge to me. What about my conversations that I have with other Christians? What does that do for them? Does it encourage them to be more in fellowship with God and with other Christians? What about you? So how do we grow in fellowship with God and with one another? Well, you do read your Bible. You do pray every day. But you also share your testimony. You share your recent testimony. If, if some of us were asked to give a testimony, we would say, do you know, in the summer when I was 10 or 11, this is mine, I, I heard the gospel for the first time and I responded to it. Man, I'm 52! What's happened in the intervening years? What am I talking about when I was 10 for? What's my testimony? Well, my testimony is that today I feel completely inadequate for the task assigned to me to preach this gospel message to you. I've had a lousy week, really toiling in a whole lot of areas of my life. That's the testimony. And God is good to meet me at the point of my need and be able to help me share with other people for their encouragement how life is for me. We need to get beyond the superficiality of how you're doing. Fine. Somebody taught me this years and years ago. She was the wife of my co-fellowship group leader. And, and Madeline, if you're listening to this, then bless you, woman, because you really helped. I met her outside church one day, and I said, Maddie, how are you doing? And she said, do you want me to say fine, or would you like to hear the truth? I said, I'd like to hear the truth. And so quite a while later, we're working towards a whole lot of stuff that's going on in her life that's just not good. That's fellowship. That's real fellowship. So what holds us back from that? How's God working in your life right now? And not, not so many years ago. Right now. Are we embarrassed to share about these things? Are we trapped in some kind of formality, superficiality that we just can't get real with one another? Is it because we're simply proud and self-sufficient, living in the delusion that we don't need other Christians? Listen to what Paul says when he writes to the church in Rome. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. As God's people come together to express their fellowship with God, they do so through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's real. And it's earthed in reality. What an honor. What a privilege. How exciting. And in your fellowship groups this week, you've got some questions to tease that out into a place of application. If you're willing, let's pray.